Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So for the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word, a week ago about this time, we considered up through the word God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Uh, and how uh, justification isn't just a legal status, it isn't merely a legal status, uh, where the Lord declares us righteous before him, righteous in his court, uh, and the uh, great blessing uh, that, it, uh, that it is to be able to know that you are in a right standing with God. Uh, but it's not just a status, it is... Uh, an experience, it is a state, it is a condition. Uh, And the first part of that condition is that it's a condition of peace with God, uh, as we heard last week, and uh, how wonderful it is uh, to have peace with God. Uh, And part of uh, how wonderful it is to have peace with God is not just uh, what the condition is, uh, the condition of peace, but in whom we are at peace with God, and uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you remember to last week, uh, the, uh, the last consideration about the peace that we have with God was that it is an unassailable peace. It is a peace that cannot be lost. It is a peace that cannot be taken away. It is a peace that no enemy uh, can break up uh, and uh, Uh, And the greatness of that peace is precisely due to in whom we have that peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is wonderful not only because it means the peace is great, but it reminds us uh, of the great cost uh, at which it was purchased. The preciousness then uh, of the peace. Um, There are some things in your house as children that Uh, you perhaps uh, do not worry too much about knocking over. Uh, There are other things uh, that perhaps in a rare moment, or hopefully not too rare, uh, moment of wisdom and judiciousness, if you are uh, tearing through the house at uh, a full run, or or if you and another sibling are tussling and you get close to something that is expensive, uh, you... Uh, decide that you are going to be a little bit more careful. That's expensive. It's, uh, it's precious. It's valuable. Well, how wonderful and expensively bought uh, is our peace with God uh, that was purchased at the cost of God the Son becoming a man in order to be our peace, in order to obtain it, and not only becoming a man, in order to do so, uh, but uh, submitting himself to death, uh, having taken the form of a slave, being found in appearance as a man, submitting himself to death, and that the death of the cross. Uh, And those words in Philippians 2 are very closely connected uh, to this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it was on account of his having done that, that Philippians 2 says that for this reason, God has given him 
the name that is above every other name, that every knee bows and every tongue confesses, not only in earth, but in heaven, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, And so it is a great comfort, a great encouragement. Uh, It should make us wonder with awe and joy and adoration and worship to know through whom this peace has been obtained and how he has obtained it. In the first place, then, uh, it uh, hopefully is obvious to you, but uh, it is not obvious to many in practice uh, that there is only one Jesus through whom we can have peace with God. Therefore, we, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, although there are many who have an idea about Jesus, uh, this, um, this idea that uh, perhaps uh, not very reverently uh, called, but the idea itself is not so reverently formed, uh, Jesus the cosmic boyfriend, uh, Jesus the one uh, who has warm, mushy feelings about you, Uh, so that you may have warm, mushy feelings about him. uh, And walking with him is really an exercise in maintaining the feelings uh, or obtaining these peak feelings uh, on uh, particular dates with Jesus. Uh, Sadly, I uh, uh, was exposed to this sort of a view of Jesus Uh, of Jesus, one that did not view him much at all as Lord uh, and did not know uh, much of what it meant that he is Christ, the the Lord's anointed, the forever king, the great high priest, the prophet like Moses, but greater than Moses. Um, Christ, we, uh, we basically thought of just as sort of his last name uh, and Uh, And we would uh, have uh, different things we did as a church and then especially as a youth group uh, in order to increase peak feeling. Uh, And uh, this is not the Jesus through whom we have peace with God. Is it any wonder that those who have that sort of an idea about Jesus and that sort of an interaction with him find it very difficult Uh, to maintain a sense of peace with God. Because the glorious second person of uh, of the Godhead uh, is not the one who has secured the peace and is securing them in the peace. And so it is important to get our doctrine about Jesus Christ correct. This is something we saw recently uh, as we were in 1 Timothy 3. And especially thinking about deacons. Uh, you remember uh, the deacon was uh, to hold with a clear conscience the mystery uh, of the faith, the mystery of the gospel. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons at the conclusion of the deacon section there uh, in verse 13 was because the one who serves well in that office has a great testimony. Uh, and then 
that flows immediately into verses 14 through 16 of 1 Timothy 3, uh, where the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. Where else is the world going to get the truth if the church does not have the truth? Uh, And it is often the case uh, that those who are outsiders and even those in the church uh, who are less spiritually minded uh, are very interested in what's happening with the money uh, and very interested in uh, how uh, how it's being collected and how it's being distributed. And uh, uh, a deacon who serves well in those ways gets opportunities that even a minister or an elder uh, might not. And we see this in the New Testament uh, with Stephen and with Philip, uh, who become great evangelists. In fact, Philip is called Philip the Evangelist uh, later on. Uh, but two of, uh, of those uh, first men who were ordained to the diaconate. Uh, And what is the mystery of the faith? What is the great faithful saying at the end uh, of that chapter, 1 Timothy 3, that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh and that he is justified in the spirit and that he was seen by messengers, by angels, those who would preach, you know, uh, Perhaps remember the use of the word angel to mean preacher in the, uh, in the letters to the churches in Asia at the beginning of Revelation. And that uh, he is um, from glory causing himself to be preached among the nations and believed on in the cosmos, which demonstrates that he has been raised up in glory. It's sound doctrine about Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons why this sound doctrine about Jesus is necessary is because only the real Jesus can give you real peace with God. However much a man may be able to assure himself that he has peace with God now uh, with his ideas about Jesus that are different than the 1 Timothy 3.16 Jesus, the Jesus who is summarized here in our passage as our Lord Jesus Christ. However much he may convince himself that he has peace with God, it will not stand when he stands before the living God. As one of my seminary professors uh, used to say uh, when he was teaching us or reminding us about a point of Christology, if we... Uh, we're getting something wrong uh, about the doctrine of who Christ is or the doctrine of the Trinity. There are tens of thousands of men named Jesus in Mexico and not one of them can save you from your sins. Uh, And so it is necessary uh, that we have this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this word Lord is being used in two different ways. Uh, It means both things uh, at once when it refers to the Lord Jesus. And uh, if you have your Bible open to to the letter to the Romans, you can see in chapter 1 very quickly both of those uses, which he promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, sorry, the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in that context, 
uh, with the word our, it really does mean our master, uh, the one of whom we are all happy bond slaves. Uh, And we will get to that in a minute. And the word Lord can just mean master, which we uh, have shortened in our uh, our English uh, to mister uh, or sir. Uh, But uh, it can just mean master. And certainly there it means master, although always with Jesus, it's master, capital M. Uh, But then down in verse 7, to all those who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The form that we especially have uh, in our short text this evening. Uh, This is a grace and a peace that comes from God uh, and it cannot come uh, from man at all. Uh, And when he is called the Lord Jesus Christ, it's referring to the same thing as we were remembering earlier in Philippians chapter 2. That he has the name that is above every name, not only in earth, but in heaven. There's only one name that is above every name, and it is the name Yahweh. Which in the copy of the Old Testament that most of the Roman Christians would have been using, uh, a copy written not in Hebrew, but in Greek, Yahweh was actually uh, written, uh, translated, or not translated, substitute translated, with the word kurios, Lord. And so the word Lord here means both Yahweh, Jehovah, the Creator, our God, and it means our Master, the one who has purchased us uh, as his slaves. Uh, And what a happy purchase it was because we do not go from freedom to slavery when we trust in our Lord Jesus Christ we go from slavery to sin slavery to self slavery to the devil who has uh, as the scriptures say the power of death and the fear uh, of death having murdered us in our first parents tempting us and we fall into sin and therefore we know that we die because it's the wages of sin and we know that death is not the worst thing that sin deserves it's a reminder that we deserve hell and that apart from that justification that we have through faith in Jesus Christ we would indeed perish forever in hell and so that slavery to sin is sometimes uh, expressed or experienced uh, by that sense that if I die, I will be judged and I will be condemned. But most often, most continually, the slavery to sin is experienced by the fact uh, that uh, apart from grace, no one does anything out of wholehearted love for God. No one does anything for his glory. There are none who seek God there are none who do good there are none who are righteous the slavery from which the Lord Jesus purchases us was already opened up very thoroughly in chapter 3 and that transition uh, from the wretched slavery to sin to the wonderful slavery to God in which we offer uh, ourselves and every part of what we are Uh, Not just all our body parts, of course, but our intellect, our time, our desires, 
our, our efforts, that we offer it all as slaves unto God for righteousness because we are the slaves of God. We are the slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin shall no longer be master over you. Uh, he, he says in chapter 6, and uh, we'll hear about that transition from the wretched slavery to sin uh, to the blessed slavery to Christ. In chapter 6, verses 5 through 22, uh, there is no such thing as one who is not a servant, one who is not a slave. Uh, the only one, well, there is one. Uh, the Lord himself is Lord and master uh, and not a servant. Uh, but for us, we are either slaves of Christ or we are still wretched slaves of sin doing whatever you feel like is not freedom. It is the most miserable bondage. But Christians are ransomed. We're paid for. We are redeemed. We're purchased. We are subjects of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This means that either... You are still at enmity with God and have a, uh, and in slavery to your sin, or you are a joyous slave of God and at enmity with your sin. In fact, this was the first way that the gospel was proclaimed, wasn't it? Not just that there would come that singular seed uh, who would crush the serpent's head but that our God would mercifully put enmity between those whom he was redeeming, those whom he was calling the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and the serpent himself. It is a blessed enmity that he brings us into with our sin. And we'll be hearing about that not only in this transfer of, uh, of ownership in chapter 6, going from slavery to sin to slavery to God, uh, in righteousness, uh, but also in this blessed freedom that the Spirit brings us into and that the Spirit leads us in as we put to death uh, the deeds of the body and make war uh, on our sin. Uh, and it's a happy uh, description to have Jesus as Lord, which of course with him as master, it makes us servants and slaves uh, because uh, the believer actually wishes that he recognized this in the way that a human slave would uh, of a human master in an earthly bondage. When someone is in earthly bondage, when someone is an earthly slave, he doesn't get to think for himself first or think of himself first. Uh, we have many conveniences now and we don't have, uh, at least in this, uh, this country, uh, very much uh, slavery now. Uh, but if you think some uh, 100, 200 years ago, well, 200 years ago, uh, if you were a slave, you would have to wake up early so that you could go to your master's bedroom and make sure that the fire was going so that it would be warm for the master uh, when he woke up. And as the master uh, prepared for his day in the bedroom that you warmed for him, I guess it depends on how much staff there, there is, but you would have your other duties that you uh, attended to, uh, perhaps seeing to the breakfast or whatever uh, else it was that you were doing. Your first thought wasn't for yourself. You would do 
whatever was required of you because as soon as you woke up in the morning, you would immediately be aware that you were a slave. You belonged to another. You lived for another. Uh, even the Lord Jesus taught this. It's not unique to, uh, to American slavery. Uh, many aspects of, uh, of which were, uh, were wicked in a way that slavery in, in other places hasn't necessarily been, although it is often wicked, uh, and the slavery that exists in the world today in Muslim nations and the Chinese nation uh, and in things like human trafficking is, is awful and terrible. Uh, it is analogous to being a slave to sin, uh, not a slave uh, to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But even Jesus said, if you have a servant and he comes in from the field, he's been working all day, uh, do you wait on him or, or do uh, you tell him to prepare your meal for you first? And uh, after you have eaten, then the slave can eat. Uh, well, there is one happy aspect of the illustration which is, don't we all know that this is the way we ought to live with our Lord Jesus Christ? Now, it's a happy service that he's brought us into. Uh, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't command us to do anything that he isn't producing in us to begin with. When we get to the next chapter and we hear, um, sin shall no longer be master over you, we will hear uh, that we are not under law, but we are under Grace. Sin is master over us because that's what we deserved for it to be. Uh, and we were hostile to the law of God. The law of God was good, but as he'll say in chapter 8, it was weakened by our flesh, by our sinfulness, and, uh, and therefore didn't produce righteousness in us. What did it produce in us? Well, sin taking the opportunity of the good law, says chapter 7, produced uh, death in us in response to the law of God. But we're not under law. Slavery to God, slavery to the Lord Jesus Christ, to him as master, is to be under grace, which doesn't mean you no longer have to do anything that God says. Uh, sadly, there are many who think of it that way. No, that's not what grace is. Uh, it means that you can, for the first time, walk according to the righteous requirements of the law. This is what God has done through Jesus Christ, his son. This is what the opening verses of Romans 8 rejoice over, that God has done through Jesus. Uh, and now the law is in the hands of the spirit of life who has been given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, grace isn't just blessing for those who deserve only curse we've already said doing whatever you want is curse doing what god wants that's blessed but it's also strength for those who have only weakness my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness and so as those who belong to the lord jesus christ Ought we not seek from God to have that awareness that if a human in a miserable bondage can have that awareness from the first moment they get up, they're awake in the morning, that they have a master and that they are to live according to his will. How much more we who have this splendid service 
in which he only commands us to do those things that redound to our eternal happiness and our infinite blessedness. And not only does he only command those things, but he himself supplies from himself the life, the desire, the goodness, the strength, the instruction, the wisdom, everything that we need is in Jesus Christ for us. Indeed, we are grieved when we forget that we are servants or find ourselves feeble and failing in our fighting against the old slavery that has no right over us. But as the apostle will say in the next chapter, so many who do those things uh, act as if they are slaves but when you sin, you're acting as if you're a slave of sin again instead of a slave of Jesus. And so we rejoice not only to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of us now, but that he is such a Lord as perfects his servants. And one day we will never again forget. We'll never have another unmindful moment in which we're forgetting that we belong to Jesus. He who has begun the work in you, the work that if he has begun it, you're so often frustrated at the current state of it, he will complete it. And you will rejoice to be his slave and serve him with all of you, all that you are. Not a moment's uh, uh, pollution of any stray thought or desire, pleasure or purpose. Not only are we slaves to our Lord Jesus Christ, we're also brothers. We were predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So yes, he is our master, but we're also being conformed to him as joint heirs. And when you hear that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God the Son has become the one in whom we have peace with God. You're not just hearing about a life of service now and obedience, living for him according to his will uh, all day, every day for the rest of this life and then perfectly so in eternity. You're hearing about your inheritance, your privilege, your status. For we learn to call God the Father, our Abba, and to know ourselves indwelt by God the Holy Spirit and joined, united through this faith to God the Son forever. That he suffers together with us. We, we suffer together with him for a little while and then we will be glorified together with him so that we can inherit together with him. As the apostle will tell us, in chapter 8. In him we are the adopted royal princes and princesses of the cosmos. We're still creatures and therefore servants. But we have been joined, united to God the Son. He takes his church to be him. He says of us, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. 
And he is committed so, so to sanctify us that we will be a bride, corporately, we will be a bride fit for King Jesus in the last day. And so the question of whether you are justified by faith, that you have a right standing with God, or the question of whether you have genuine peace with God, one that will not evaporate when the sky peels back and the Lord Jesus appears in the sky and we stand before him at the judgment, those questions have the same answer. They are answered identically with the question of whether you are the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who sits on the throne of heaven. (coughs) And so I ask you this evening, are you his servant? Not are you a good one? We, even if we did everything that was required of us, the scripture says to say, we are unprofitable servants. What have we done except that which was required? Not are you a good one, but are you his servant? Do you have a master? Do you know that you're not your own? Are the things that please him when you sit and plan your priorities? If you look over uh, the way you wish your life was going, is it ordered out according to the master's priorities? Because being justified by faith in Jesus Christ doesn't just bring us into a condition of peace with God. It also brings us into a a condition of servitude because that peace that we have is through our Lord Jesus Christ.